0: You'll take your copy of God's Word this morning and open with me for the reading of our sermon text, Exodus chapter 20. And as you're turning, let me say thank you for how you worship in here. You know, whether there's 50 of you or 250 of you, it is such a joy to my heart to hear you engage and to lift up the name of our glorious Savior together. Thank you. Worship team, Sean, thank you. I, I Watch these guys and gals up here. They just spent a lot of energy at 9 a.m., and here they are again. And it's real in their hearts, and I can hear it real in your souls. Thank you for how you worship our Savior. Exodus chapter 20 for the reading of our sermon text. The next to last time we will hear these words read prior to this sermon. You will hear them read many other times. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord your God is giving you. You should not murder you should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You should not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let us pray together. Well, Father, we hear your word as it is read to us this morning. And I would now pray that, Spirit of God, you would illumine our minds, help us to think well and correctly about your word and our lives. Bring forth in us areas that transgress your holy law, bring forth conviction of sin, repentance. Through your word this morning, build us up in the most holy faith. Strengthen your people. Call us to you, our God, our refuge, our rock, our stronghold. If there would be those online or here present in this auditorium who are not believers in Jesus, May the law have its holy work, exposing our sin and calling us to Christ and faith alone in him. So, Father, bless now our time as we devote our minds and our hearts to your words. Strengthen us today that we might live lives worthy of the calling with which you have called us in Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, my brother, for ministering to us this morning. Well, with your Bibles open and your notepads or however you process sermons the best, let us hear now from this important text for us today, Exodus chapter 20, our focus today is really simple, verse number 16, the ninth commandment, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we are nearing the end of our journey through this particular series. We are at number nine next week. We will wrap it up with number 10. And I trust that this has been a helpful series uh, to your own soul, your own walk with Christ. I, I do want to step back into something Tim said earlier during the announcements. Thank you for how you've been so careful or you're striving to be careful with all the recommendations and regulations we set forth for our gathering This 9 a.m., 11 a.m. stuff is for the birds. Uh, I hate it because, and I know you do too, you want to see your church family and you feel like we're broken up, well, we are uh, for this short season of our life. And so thank you for your patience in that. I can't wait till we're all back in this room together enjoying the fellowship uh, that is here among the brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, thank you for your patience. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 16, simple and to the point, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Today, the commandment is going to focus in an area of our lives that may be difficult for us to hear and certainly will be pointed and necessary for each of us, namely on our mouths Our lips, our tongues, our words. This commandment is going to dive in to some very difficult places in our lives and confront us. And I trust our response as the people of God is one of repentance and obedience before Christ. This commandment, in specific, is going to deal with words that come out of our mouths about our neighbors. As a matter of fact, there's going to be two specific commands that deal with our lips or our words. If you, if you let your eyes linger back to verse number seven or command number three, it is there we find this idea in relationship to God. God is concerned about our lips or our mouths or our words in relationship to him. Command number three, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you hear the seriousness of how God Views that particular command with the next statement the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the introductory side of our lips in regard to these commands. The other side of that is here in command number nine. Not only is God concerned about our words in relationship to him, but God is concerned about our words in relationship to people, our neighbors. Words matter. If for no other reason we can look at Ten Commandments and pull out 20% of them and say words matter. Or words about God or words about our neighbors God considers to be a serious matter. Words affect people for good or ill. They can strengthen or they can harm God has much to say about this issue in our lives. And as you think about the Ten Commandments, and I hope you have seen this as we walk through them over these last eight, nine weeks, God is concerned about every area of our life. I found this kind of interesting about the Ten Commandments. He's He's concerned about our worship, He's concerned about our mind and how we think about Him. He's concerned about our relationship. He's concerned about our emotions. He's concerned about our actions, our external actions, He's concerned about our lips and our words. God has this deep concern about the whole of our lives and the grace and the wisdom of these commandments as they now speak into us and they form for us a life, if you will, that is pleasing to our Father. Let me give you the outline for this morning before I jump into this. we got five points. Number one, we're going to look at the theological background of the ninth commandment. So we're going to, we're going to walk into this a little bit differently than I've been walking into some of the other commandments. I want to look at the theological background that forms and shapes the ninth commandment. Number two, I'm going to give an explanation of the ninth commandment. I just want to walk through what it means in Exodus chapter 20. And as we begin to understand what it says in Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to move into the New Testament the third point And see how the New Testament authors handle this particular commandment and how comprehensive this command becomes for us with full clarity under the context of the New Covenant. Number four is, I said this during 9 a.m. gathering, number four is the reason I'm asking you to stay awake for the entire sermon. I'm going to deal with some specific application. How the ninth commandment should inform us, one, in this political season, Two, in this context of our country with racial tension. Three, in regard to our use of social media. And four, in regard to that relationship that is most fundamental to me being a good neighbor, namely my marriage. I would assume all four of those areas or most of those areas are going to address us this morning. The last point of the sermon is I begin, I'm going to begin with our, the theological background to this commandment. The last point is our theological ground we stand on to respond to this commandment. And this is really important. So let's jump into this. The theological background that forms the ninth commandment. I, I would love to pause and just give you ten minutes to think that through. What forms this commandment? What theological idea spawns or births this particular commandment in the Decalogue? What forms this command is the very character and essence of God. And we've been pleading with you and us to see that about all the commandments. So this is nothing new. But when you look down at your text and you read this particular verse, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's a very practical, horizontal, relational type command. But it is built out of and flows out of the very character and essence of God. It is grounded in the character of God. Old Testament and New Testament alike affirms for us that God is truth and God cannot lie. He cannot deceive. He cannot bear false witness. Listen to Numbers chapter 23. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it? Will he not do it? Or has he spoken? Will he not fulfill it? Yes, he will do it. And yes, he will fulfill it. Why? Because the character of God is this. He cannot lie. And that's a theological background, if you will, that that brings us to this idea of the ninth commandment. New Testament affirms this likewise, but the character and essence of God. Speaking of the hope we have of eternal life, Paul writes, God, who never lies, promised before the ages began this eternal life we have in Christ. So what is the foundation of your assurance, brothers and sisters? It is this truth of God. The essence and character of God. He cannot lie, and He's promised to you in Christ that you have hope of eternal life. And so you stand in that assurance, but why? Because God has spoken it. And God cannot lie. That is the background of this commandment don't bear false witness. On the other side of God is the adversary, right? The devil. What forms the very character and essence of Satan? Well, Jesus spoke of this. Listen to what Jesus said when he was speaking to the religious rulers of his day. He says, "You are of the father the devil. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do the father your father's desires." He was a murderer, there's a command He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of, here it is, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You hear this contrast between God and Satan. Out of God flows truth. He cannot lie. That forms the background of this commandment. And yet you hear the reality of Satan that out of his character, out of his essence, flows these lies. He is the father of all lies. This is why Thomas Watson, when he was writing about the Ninth Commandment, said this. Let this, I'm going to try to use pronouns that encompasses all of us, because this command is going to go right after all of our hearts. There's not a person in this room that escapes this command. Watson writes, He that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue. He that receives a slander carries the devil in his ear. Why would Watson say that? It's because of what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Satan is a liar and he is the father of lies. So if we entertain slander, and I'm coming to that in just a moment in regard to this particular commandment. If we entertain slander, if we speak slander, then the devil's in our lips. And he's in our ears. Only a Puritan can speak like that. So it shouldn't shock us as we think about the ninth commandment, as we approach this commandment, that God hates lies. He despises it. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. It can't be stated any stronger than this lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Or Psalm 5. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Okay, maybe it did get stronger. Why does God look up on this particular command, this particular transgression, and speak with such strong language because it's contrary to the very character of our God? He is truth. He cannot lie. And those who participate in this transgression share in their father, the devil, and his intent to bring upheaval to the kingdom of God. That's the background, okay? So just to get us there. Now we're getting into the sermon. Let's talk about the ninth commandment. Let's give a brief explanation of what the ninth commandment is. Again, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. The core, here, I want you to hear all this, but hear this sentence. The core idea behind the ninth commandment is that we are not to use our words to bring harm to our neighbor. Now, the, we're going to work out what the ninth commandment specifically is addressing, but let's start there. The core idea behind the ninth commandment is that we are not to use our words to hurt our neighbor. This command takes us, if you look back at your Bibles, this command takes us to the ultimate violation of giving a false testimony against our neighbor in the court of law which has as its aim the idea of injuring someone or hurting someone. So if you go back and reread the commandment, it's a legal idea. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. He's brought us into the courtroom, if you will. Phil Reichen writes this. This is helpful to me as I think about the Ten Commandments. Phil Reichen writes, remember how the Ten Commandments work. What they forbid is the most extreme form of any particular sin. Murder, he writes, is the worst kind of hatred. Pastor Tim preached tonight. You remember the words of Jesus. Murder is the worst form of hatred. Adultery, remember we, we spent time on the issue of adultery and how it devastates families. He writes, adultery is the most destructive sexual sin because of the fallout of it. And so on. And he continues. Similarly, the ninth commandment forbids the deadliest law. One that can condemn an innocent man for a crime he did not commit. So the the, the commandments call us to this. Don't give false witness against your neighbor. It's the most serious form of lying because reputation and life could be at stake in the person your transgression is against. So the ninth commandment is built on this idea. Or excuse me, the justice system is built on this very idea. It's built on the idea of truthful testimony. Whether it be ancient or contemporary cultures, this is how it has always been. And records of antiquity confirm this idea that even those who would give false testimony in a court of law that could bring the death penalty up on a person, they themselves would be subject to death. It's a serious matter. Rucker, in his book on the Ten Commandments, writes, The assurance of truthful testimony is a social condition that is essential for human survival. Communal living is not possible without minimal trust in the veracity of one's words. The obligation of courts to adjudicate conflicting claims cannot be met unless it is assumed that truthfulness will prevail. And you get the idea behind what Riken was saying a moment ago. This is like the ultimate form of lying. Because in this context, you can bring immense harm to the person you're bearing false witness against. The legal system is grounded in truthful testimony, be it the ancient world or even today, but especially in the ancient world where there was no DNA, no audio and visual recordings. So under the Mosaic regulations, Moses is going to set up, God is going to set up specific ideas in regard to witnesses and this this legal courtroom system. Deuteronomy chapter 19 A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. A single witness doesn't do it. The call here, only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. I mean, this is is serious business. If you're coming in to bring a charge against a person that could harm their reputation or bring harm to their life, the truthfulness of the testimony must be established. Hence, two or three witnesses. We see the same thing in a church discipline. Speaking truth as a witness under the Old Covenant or the Mosaic regulations is elevated, especially when the death penalty is at stake. Imagine this in our current system. Not only are multiple witnesses required in the case of a death penalty, but the witnesses will be central and likewise carrying out the punishments rendered. I mean, how that elevates truthful testimony. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 17. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses, here it is, you better be truthful because the hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. It was a societal issue. Truthfulness in the context of a court system was absolutely crucial for a society to function. And if you're going to bring testimony against an evildoer, you better be speaking the truth, especially in the case of a death penalty, because your hand will be rendered in the punishment likewise. This is serious business under the old testament and mosaic regulations this command reminds us of the danger of our lips and our words i mean that's that's kind of the point behind this if you bear false witness against your neighbor what's being elevated here in this particular command is the danger of our lips and our words as we think about them in relationship to others the scriptures are absolutely clear the danger of that little piece of flesh that exists between your two lips, your words, your tongue. Listen to James. I have to think James has command non behind his thoughts. Listen to what James says. A tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. This is why the ninth commandment exists. You think about it, in our world, there's not a beast we cannot tame. I remember taking the kids to the Columbus Zoo many times when they were younger and setting in various exhibits and watching these powerful animals and how not only powerful they were, but at the end of the day, they had been captured by and subdued by humans. They were under us. Big, powerful creatures. And James says here, this little blaze, if you will, this little thing within us, the tongue, our words, no human being can tame the tongue. He says, it is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. While we bless the Lord, our Lord and Father, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth came blessings and cursings. My brothers, James Wright, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the danger that exists. This is why the ninth commandment is so pointed toward us this morning. The danger that exists within our lives, our lips, our tongues, our words can have devastating effects on those around us. Now, lest we don't think this is an important issue, I'm going to back up in James and read another verse. Listen to how important James sees our words. He writes, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. We have to hear that as we think about this ninth commandment and our words and how they can bring harm to our neighbors, we have to hear what James is calling us to here. We can confess Christianity we can pursue Christ in all of these ways, but James makes it clear. He's the same one who wrote James 3. He's going to make it clear. If we do not broaden our tongues, we can pursue Christianity all we want to, but at the end of the day, our religion in James' mind is worthless. You see how important this issue is for God? It's sobering. The ninth commandment is just sobering. Words are powerful. And once they leave your lips, there's no returning them back. I was telling 9 a.m. service, I was in Advanced Auto yesterday morning, or two mornings ago, and two individuals in front of me purchasing an item began to speak very derogatory language toward our black brothers and sisters. There's two experiences happened to me in that moment. First, as I was I was trying to figure out I'm not a mechanic or a contractor by any stretch of the imagination. So I was lost in Advanced Auto trying to figure out what I needed for a little air compressor and I was focused on my little piece I needed. But then I started hearing these words. And those words created such an anger in my heart. And then he turned. Both of them did. And they wanted me and looked at me and they wanted me to join in their evil language toward our black brothers and sisters. I probably didn't handle myself well, but it just, the first thing, I, the only thing I could think of in the moment when he looked at me and said, you're a fool. It just came out. I thought, oh boy, here we go. You know, if there's two of you, one of me. I'm not good at math because I graduated from POCA, but I know I'm outnumbered. Words affect People And once they leave our mouths, they can bring great harm upon our neighbor. James says, you practice all the spiritual disciplines you want to. If you don't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. Now, as we have been doing throughout these commands, it's important for us to see these commands that only they don't just prohibit, they compel us. It's really important that we get this. So easy to see these commands in a negative sense, but they're not just prohibiting us from something, they're compelling us toward a life that is pleasing to God. This command is not simply do not lie, though it contains that idea, but it is primarily given to us to help us understand how we should think in relationship to our neighbor and our words the heidelberg catechism to come back to it once again writes this what is the aim of the ninth commandment i'm going to read all of this just to get to the last sentence that i never give false testimony against anyone that i twist no one's words that i would not gossip or slander nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing rather in court and everywhere else. You hear that comprehensive nature as as they viewed this? It's in court and it's everywhere else. The the Lordship of Christ over my tongue is in every sphere of my life. Not, Not just the court, it's in every sphere of my life. So the Catechism reads, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses and they would calm down on me, God's intense wrath. I should love the truth speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it. And here's why I'm reading this catechism, this last sentence. And I shall do what I can to guard and advance my, good, my neighbor's good name. This is what it compels us to, not to refrain simply from bearing false witness or lying or deceiving or slandering, but it's compelling us to something greater than just a prohibition. It's calling us to think about the good of our neighbor, which is the core of the second tablet, that I love my neighbor as I love myself, and then to think of my words and my lips and my tongue in relationship to that great commandment. How would I want to be treated? Therefore, I'm going to speak in that manner. The New Testament isn't quiet on this. I've already read James. There's a number of passages where the New Testament author will pick up on a few of the commands and kind of bring them. We looked at 1 Timothy 1 for for multiple weeks and how the New Testament author, namely Paul, interpreted and understood these commands. This one's Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, you're going to see the sixth commandment, the eighth commandment, the ninth commandment. Listen to what Paul writes. If you want to turn, it's Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Listen to how Paul... I think Paul writes this informed by the ninth commandment. You're going to hear the sixth, the eighth, the ninth. Listen to what he says. Therefore, having put away, here's the ninth, having put away falsehood, let each of one, one of you speak truth with his neighbor. You hear that? That's just the ninth commandment coming in to the New Testament. We are members of one another. Be angry. Remember what Jesus said about anger and murder. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Our command from last week, let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in his need. But I want to stop there for a moment. When he talks about the ninth commandment, he's concerned about others. Speak truth with your neighbor. We are members of one another. When he talks about the eighth commandment, he's concerned about others. Share with those who have in need. Work hard and labor so that you can identify those who have. It's others. It's always others. Verse 30. Do not grieve, the, or excuse me, verse 29. He's back to the ninth commandment. Let no, no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good. For what? For good arguments? No. For the good of building up, edifying, as fits the occasion. And then I love this little phrase right here. And may this guard all of our words and our lips here at Randolph Street. So that it may give grace to those who hear. You hear that? Our language, the New Testament takes this command and it fulfills it, fills it out for us. Our language would have our neighbor in mind that when we speak, When this little piece of flesh begins to flap back and forth, what happens is we edify and we give grace to our neighbors. The ninth commandment isn't calling us simply to withdraw from something. The ninth commandment is calling us and compelling us towards something. And that is a life of speaking the truth with grace to our neighbors. He finishes that little phrase I think this is so helpful for us. He finishes that little text. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then here is the gospel ground Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as what? As God has forgiven you in Christ. What a ground to stand on when you interact with your neighbors. Oh, what a humbling ground ground to stand on i think about the words i share with others i'm going to love you as christ has loved me so we are not called to simply avoid speaking that which is in false in regard to our neighbor we are called to speak that which is true we are called to fight against laws and slander and gossip words that stir unnecessary controversy, knowing that we are a body together, we are united with one another in Christ, and our focus must be on words that build up and to use Paul's language, give grace to those who hear us speak. There's not one of you who have not violated the ninth commandment, and I stand chief among you. The last point will help us. Let me give a few practical thoughts. Those four areas I spoke of in regard to the ninth commandment. It's political season. It seems like it's always political. It's, it's like we never are out of political season these days. Political season is like a billboard for ninth commandment violations. Lying or deceiving or slandering for political gain gain has become normalized in our society. I just want to hear, I want to say that again. Lying, deceiving, and slandering for political gain has become normalized in our society. Do not, brothers and sisters, let that become normal in your mind. It is wrong. It is displeasing to God to lie about or to slander my neighbor regardless of their political party is a transgression against the holy law of God. To take someone's words out of context, to intentionally deceive or to promote that which is not true about a person is a direct violation of the ninth commandment and is not pleasing to God. And at the end of the day, while one may build a kingdom on earth through those deceptive means, one will not build the kingdom of Christ. And our aim is singular. Men and women, don't give in to it. I've said this multiple times, and I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face past November. You can lie and cheat and steal and speak ill of others in order to gain some earthly political victory, but at the end of the day, you are missing the boat on that which is most important and eternal, and that's the kingdom of Christ. Number two, in regard to the racial tension within our culture and society, words matter. If nothing else, I want you to hear this idea right here. Words matter. They affect and they harm our neighbors. If you're white or you're black, your neighbor is every one and words matter i had the deepest joy the other day i was walking home from work stopped in the street and talked to an elderly black gentleman and we had such an enjoyable conversation he told me his life story and what he has walked through in his life and he is a dear dear godly man Created in the image of God, saved by the blood of Christ. It was so helpful for me to, just to listen to him and understand the shoes that he has walked in. Let your words about this particular tension that exists within our society not be formed by CNN, Fox News or the latest libertarian fad. Let your words be saturated by grace. Mercy and Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you are going to err in this moment, if you are going to err, I'm pleading with you this morning. You err by speaking the words of Christ. You err by speaking with words of mercy and grace toward your brothers and sisters and toward your neighbor. Give me that guy and that gal every day of the week. Social media. Like our political world, the online world is a cesspool of what Paul warned the Corinthians about. Second Corinthians chapter 12, in the midst of all of their struggles, he noted they were quarreling and jealousy and anger. You hear the commands behind this, hostility and slander and gossip, conceit and disorder. Let the ninth inform our online practices. I'm not a social media guru. I had control of the Facebook of Randolph Street for about three weeks until Lee changed the password on me. I don't understand that world well, but I do know this, thinking about the ninth commandment. It is not okay to throw on words and stir controversy and spread gossip and bring harm to our neighbor, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you must use social media, let your typed words be filled with grace and mercy and Christ. Now, I get it. I get it. If you let your words on social media be formed by grace, mercy, and Christ, your retweets and your Facebook lights are probably going to plummet. I get it. Not many people get excited about grace, mercy, and Christ. But listen, you will glorify God. You will glorify God for marriage. I've been married 20 years in September, and I don't say this to fall on my sword. I have violated the ninth commandment countless times to the most important neighbor of my life, my wife. It took me so many years to learn what I think is the core behind this commandment with regard to my wife. Men, women, husbands, wives, your words affect your most intimate neighbor your husband, your wife. And once those words leave your mouth, they bring forth lasting and devastating effects. Let the ninth commandment inform our conversations with the most important neighbor of our lives, namely our spouses. So if I could bring those four thoughts together very quickly on the practical side of things. Be a man or a woman who is known. No matter your circumstances, no matter the situation, be a man or woman who's known for your love for Christ and let that love be evidenced by your grace-filled, mercy-oriented, love-my-neighbor-type words. And in the end, you will glorify God and honor your Savior, and there your heart will find deep and abiding joy. Let me end this morning as I want to come back to the Theological ground we stand on. Tim, I don't, I don't, this is the problem of having two services. I don't know if he said this during our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service last week. Maybe he said it both times. But when he came to the table last week, Tim called us back to Romans 6 and some of the language he used. When you look at this commandment, I I see this commandment and it's hard. I mean, I, this commandment filters into my heart and it, it has, Tentacles that reach into so many areas of my life. This commandment tends to expose and open up the areas where I'm very self-oriented and self-centered. So I want to remind you of this, and we should have been reminding you this of every week, and hopefully we have in various words. The theological ground you stand on to pursue the ninth commandment is this: if you're in Christ. You have been forgiven of your sins and you have been freed from the power of sin. You no longer bear the condemnation of your sin and you no longer live under the rule of sin. It is not your master. And texts like this call us to stop acting like sin is our master, but again to submit ourselves to Christ, recognizing his lordship over my life and my lips. I've been freed from the rule of sin. That is amazing truth. That is an amazing truth. What Christ accomplished on that cross simply doesn't have past effects. There are present realities to that victory that Christ purchased for us. I am freed from the rule of sin over my life, so I don't have to fight. I don't have to quarrel. I don't have to stir up controversy with my neighbor. I don't have to lie and deceive and slander. I don't have to build this false narrative of my life and promote my own selfish ends. Why? Because I am no longer a slave to sin, but I am free in Christ. So I can think about others. I'm freed from the tyranny of self. And now I can fulfill the law of God by loving my neighbor as myself. And I can put my neck on the line and love and to care for those as Christ had loved and cared for me. I am free to love my neighbor. I am free to pursue my neighbor's good. I'm free to be slandered and mocked. I'm free to be lied about because my identity doesn't lie in how you see me. My identity lies in Christ. I am free to sacrificially give my life and my goods for my neighbor. Because my end is not some temporal kingdom, but the glory of Christ. And there is my joy. And there is my delight, and the gospel has freed me to that end. I have been freed by Christ for Christ. He is my joy, and he is my goal. And now I can fulfill what God has called me to in these commands. Amen? Let those words set on us today. And may God bring much, much glory to himself. Let's pray together. Well, Father, as week in and week out, your word has done its holy work in us. Today is no different. Help us, Spirit of God, help us. Form in us desires that are righteous and holy, that seek out the good of my neighbor with my lips. Let my tongue speak forth words that bless you, my God, and likewise bless my neighbor. Let my words be filled with grace and mercy. Let my words build up those who are around me. Father, help us as a church to see the seriousness of this matter I can think of no stronger language than what James puts before us. Help us be a people here who brottle our tongue and thereby practice true religion. Father, I pray for all of our church members here, those who are listening online. These are hard days. They're controversial. They're filled with strife and conflict. Oh, may a sweet aroma rise up in the midst of all of the ugliness of Christ-like men and women who love their Savior and who speak words of life to those around us. What an opportunity we have as your people, your church, to live in this moment of world history and to pursue the glory of Christ and the kingdom of Christ above all things. Let us be satisfied today with your glory, Father, above any meaningless, temporal victory wrought by evil devices. Let us enjoy you. Let us enjoy obeying you. And may you, our God, be our goal and our end in all things. May your word inform us today. May we respond with obedience. I pray for any who may be listening online or present here who do not know Christ. May the law do its holy work and expose transgression and sin. May the law build in us what is true outside of Christ and that is a hopelessness. But may the law today complete its work in these men and women. By pointing them to Christ, the one who is righteous and the one who stood in our place, condemned for our sins, that we might go free and forgiven. Oh God, would you grant repentance and faith for those who may be listening or present here among us. Thank you again, as hard as it is. Thank you again for your word. Build us up to mature, godly Holy men and women, for the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.